0: Okay, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter two, we saw a visitation of Magi. That is Gentile worshipers coming to worship the baby Jesus, not the infant baby that you rock in your arms, but the two year old baby. And so they were once as in Babylon. They were being guided by the Shekinah glory of God. But then it disappeared. Not knowing where to go, they naturally went to Jerusalem to find a king in the capital city. And so word of their arrival reached to the ears of Herod themselves, of such men looking for one who was born king of the Jews. And so Herod, because we already talked about his paranoia and how that he would kill anyone, he found a thought to be a threat to his kingdom, but nevertheless. He called his chief priests and scribes to himself and asked about where this Messiah king should be born. And they told him that he should be born in Bethlehem. And so hearing this new information, Herod summoned the um, the Magi to himself. He summoned them secretly, told them that Jesus, I'm sorry, not so much as Jesus, but this Messiah that you're looking for should be born in Bethlehem. Search for the child carefully and bring word back to him so that he too may worship him. But he lied. He had no intention of worshiping the child king. His intention was to kill this king. But nevertheless, the Magi departed from uh, the palace of Herod. And once again, the Shekinah glory of God helped them out. Because remember, it would have been a house to house search otherwise. But God helped them out. And the Shekinah glory, the light, began to lead them directly to the house that Mary and Joseph was living in. When they came there, they worshiped the child Jesus, and they brought gifts unto him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then after that, they were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, but leave uh, Israel a different way in which they came. And so they left and went back to Babylon. And it was at this time God also warned Joseph in a dream, telling him that Herod would seek the child's life and to go to Egypt. And that's why God sent these Magi. One of the reasons he sent the Magi with these valuable gifts so that during Joseph's stay in Egypt, he will have enough funds to maintain some sort of way of life so he could take care of them. So God provided for them. Herod finding out that he was tricked, and which the Magi never returned to him, was enraged, sent his armies to kill all Jewish babies two years of age and under. And we saw that which was fulfilled as we talked about those particular things. As a matter of fact, let me talk about this as well. We did a previous video. I'm sorry, we did a video after we did chapter two in how New Testament writers understood the old testament how they interpreted old testament prophecies so if you have not looked at that video go back and look at that video okay but anyway so he sent and killed those babies and that's when he said that this was fulfilled that was spoken by jeremiah the prophet But nevertheless, Joseph went into Egypt and he stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. And God told him to return back to Israel because the one who sought the child's life is now dead. And Joseph came back and he found out that Archelaus, son of Herod, was reigning in his place. And he was worse than his father. And God once again directed him to go to Nazareth, where Jesus was being raised. So now as we get into chapter three, Matthew skipped basically for the most part, almost 30 years of Jesus's life. And he he jumps into the life of Jesus as an adult man dealing with the ministry of John the Baptist. Chapter three, verse one. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is the one referred, to, i tell you what, let me just do three. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, now there's a substantial amount of unpacking that we need to do with this this verse here, so let me not try to get excited, I don't want to speak too fast, but make you understand all that's going on. So here he pushes us forward in time, almost 30 years to the time of John the Baptist. Matthew does not concern us with John's birth and and nothing related to that. Like Luke does, he just immediately goes to John also as an adult man and he calls him John the Baptist. In other words, John the baptizer. Now, one of the things that I want you to see here is baptizing was nothing new. It was quite common amongst the Jews. And so we would often think that baptism was something that happened for the most part in the time of Jesus. And for those who were believers in Jesus, that is not correct. Jews were also baptizing even before many years before Jesus came on the scene. But the idea of baptism is this. The one who is baptizing has a particular message that he is proclaiming. And so therefore, whatever message that one is proclaiming to receive baptism by that one means to accept his message. And that's the case to accept his message. And this would inevitably make you a follower or a disciple of such a woman. OK. Whether that discipleship is intimate, that is like a day to day thing, or whether it simply says we believe in such a one's ministry. So as John is a baptizer, he has a message that he is declaring. That's the main thing that we need to understand. And for those who are submitting themselves to the baptism of John, they are saying, I believe and accept your message. And to one degree or another, I am a follower of you. I believe in your ministry. So John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, I can be. Let me just go ahead and tell you, because I was going to wait till I was going further in the thing in the wilderness of Judea. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to tell you. I'll wait till I get there. But now here's what you need to understand. John the Baptist was not preaching in some populated area. That's the first thing that you need to see. Notice, let these words strike you in a wilderness, like a deserted place. So John was not preaching in a populated area where people can easily reach him. But John was preaching in a very much unpopulated area. So to hear the words that John was preaching You had to make a a sense of effort to go and hear John preach. And I'll save the rest of that commentary for later. All right. And what was John's message? Remember, with baptism, there is a message that is involved. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now let's unpack that. Repent. That deals with a change of ways that a change of heart. That deals with a change of ways. So your mind and your heart is changed and therefore your ways and your actions are following the change of heart, a change of a change of mind that results in a change in your conduct. And so this he would simply call repentance. And we will talk about that even more so when we get into the text. Okay? so he's asking them repent. But notice what he is saying. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is something that is often confused by us Gentiles because we neglect the Jewishness of the first century uh, uh, of the apostles of Christ, the times of Christ, the teachings of Christ and even of John the Baptist. We neglect that and we neglect to consider there is a Jewish element that is involved. So when John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand and remember, oftentimes kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, they can be used interchangeably. Okay, so if you say kingdom of heaven, it is the same to say the kingdom of God. And because this is Matthew, what did I just say? Matthew writing. And remember what we said about Matthew in the introduction concerning the gospel of Matthew. Matthew's gospel is unto the Jews and Matthew himself is very Jewish. And one thing that the Jewish people did not like to say was God's name, or they would never use God's personal name. They would simply say, the name, as we would simply say it in um, English, the name, or in Hebrew, Hashem. But anyway, so here he he is referring to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, okay? In that reference to the kingdom of heaven, is dealing with the coming Messiah because okay, this is a part of the unpacking. The the kingdom of heaven is what the Jewish people were looking forward to. They were not like us, and I don't want to deal with all of that contrast because we always talk about going to heaven, and I've heard people say going to heaven and walking around all day. That is not what's going to happen. We'll only go to heaven for a short time and we're coming right back down to the earth because. Heaven is never intended to be the home of the saints of God. But God had told the Jewish people often, oftentimes that there would be an establishment of the Jewish kingdom. That is, Israel would become the greatest nation in the world. It would become the nation that rules over all the Gentile nations. And the reason why Israel rules over the Gentile nations is the Messiah the Messiah of the Jews, who is king of the whole world. It's because Jesus will be there and all administration will go forth from Jesus, who himself is a Jew, who himself will be residing in Israel. So they were looking forward to the coming kingdom of Israel that can only be brought about by the Messiah. So in other words, when he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he is announcing the Messiah is near. The coming one who will bring this kingdom is, is right around the corner. That's what he's saying, okay? Now, then it becomes, verse number three, it talks about the person of John, because, and we'll talk about that even later. And it says that John's very person, And the activity, the the work that he is doing is a work that was pronounced by God much earlier in the scriptures, almost 700 years ago, through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And this is what we call, once again, go back and look at what I said, how New Testament writers uh, quoted the Old Testament writers. This is a literal interpretation. So John the Baptist is a literal fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, I think it's verse number three. But anyway, and what does it say? One referred by as the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The idea of crying does not mean he's weeping. That means he is proclaiming. He is preaching something. Remember, John was doing what? Preaching in the wilderness. One preaching in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Now, this is a direct uh, pointing to the Messiah. And so what is John's principal job? To get a people, to prepare a people to be ready for the Messiah when he should come. What did John preach? Repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What kingdom of heaven? The Messiah. Only the Messiah can establish the kingdom. So the Messiah is soon to come. And what did Isaiah say? This one will come and re- make ready a way that is prepare a people. And the second part of that, make his paths straight, make his paths straight, prepare a people for the Lord, pa- making the path straight deals with the issue of repentance. It deals with the issue of what? repentance. So in preparing a people to accept the Messiah, this was John's function. And this is what Isaiah said this one would do. And Matthew here is saying, John is the fulfillment of Matthew's prophecy. But notice too, I want to bring your attention, make way, make ready the way of the Lord. When we look at that passage in Isaiah 40, The Lord is the word Yahweh. So even here, once again, Jesus is associated with the name of God. Or in other words, Jesus is God, God Almighty, even God of the Old Testament, okay? So what we have now seen is introduction of John, John's purpose. His purpose is to prepare the hearts of a people ready for Messiah Jesus when when the time comes for his ministry. So remember what we said here about baptizing. Why do you baptize? You have a message preparing the people for the Messiah. And those people who are baptized, these are people who have accepted your message. So therefore, the only thing that will be left is for John to point out the Messiah. You got it? So John is going to say this man is the Messiah. As later on, we're going to see. I'm going to talk about all that a little bit later on. I'm trying not to make this too long. John going to see Jesus walking by the Jordan and he's going to point to Jesus. And he's going to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He just identified the Messiah. So John just fulfilled his mission, preparing a people that when John points the Messiah out, They should go and follow and believe in the Messiah. They should believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that was that's John's job. Okay? Now, verse number four, it gets a little bit easier now. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Okay, so now let's look at it continues to talk about John. It tells how John had this garment of camel's hair with the leather belt. All it's simply doing is this. It is giving a picture of of John the Baptist as a type of Elijah, to the which Jesus will say even more so. Jesus himself will even say more so that John is a type of Elijah. So the idea is John comes with the preaching and the power of Elijah. And I believe that it was spoken of about that in the book of Luke as well uh, to his father, Zachariah. But I'm not gonna get into the comparison of Luke and Matthew we're gonna stay with Matthew here but the picture is John coming as Elijah now what does that mean all the Jews revered Elijah as the greatest of their prophets because remember Elijah was a man of many powerful miracles and we don't want to get into all of that and therefore the Jews revered Elijah as the greatest of all the prophets and they also had the looking forward even as spoken of by the book of Malachi that this, John, this Elijah the prophet will return once again to the which the disciples themselves would be kind of confused about that issue in relating John the Baptist and Elijah the prophet but I'm not going to get into that at all right now but nevertheless. That's the picture that John is giving of himself, a prophet. And now here's the, here's the thing too. And I don't, I probably shouldn't get into it, but let me just simply say it. By Jesus's own mouth, John was called the greatest prophet of all. And notice it said, even though John did no miracle at all in the ministry of John the Baptist, he never performed a single miracle not one, and Jesus called him the greatest. Why? Preaching, gospel, preaching, but I'll just stop right there. So what happened? And they also talked about John's diet of locusts and wild honey. This is nothing to the extreme. It just simply shows that John had a very plain diet. In other words, when you look at John, dressed as Elijah, but nevertheless, In simplistic dress, that's what you also see. In what? Simplistic dress, and also eating what? Simply locusts and honey, the most simplest of food. These are clean foods uh, concerning the dietary laws. Simple dress, simple food, which shows that John's main priority in life was not himself, but his ministry. That's the point that you need to see here. okay? And so what people were coming from all about verse number five, from even Jerusalem down into the south, going out to hear John. Notice all of Judea, all the district around the Jordan. And that's where John was baptized. And so people were coming from far and wide just to hear John preach. The first question you should you should think is. Well, why are people responding this way? True, John was a very powerful and dynamic preacher. True enough for even the scripture says in Luke that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. But we won't get into that. So he was a powerful preacher. But why are people just flocking to him, you know, it like, it, it, it's like as no other preacher? And that's because at that time there were no other prophets. This is the fulfillment of what God spoke through the prophet Amos. I believe it's in Amos chapter eight. And the whole idea is as Amos, and they were, they were really chiding Amos saying, you know, your prophet, you need to go and prophesy and get paid for your preaching. Go back to Jerusalem and preach. And I, and, and, and Amos was saying, I'm not a prophet paid profit. I'm not a professional prophet, but God, I was a keeper of sycamore trees. But nevertheless, God called me from this occupation to prophesy to you, Israel, Israel the north. But nevertheless, they ridiculed Amos and they ultimately rejected him, telling him, get out of here. This is the king's place of worship. And, never, and so God brought a judgment. And one thing that God said in his judgment in Amos chapter 8 is, They didn't listen to you. That means they didn't listen to me. They didn't want to hear the word of God. But the time will come. I will bring about a famine and the time will come that I will bring about a thirst. It will not be a famine for bread. It will not be a thirst for water, but it will be a thirst and a famine for the word of God. For there will become a time, a season that they will long. The people of Israel will go to and fro, looking for a word from God, looking for a prophet of God, and they will find none. And that's what we mean when we talk about the 400 years of silence and the 400 years of silence simply is from the closing of the old Testament to the beginning of the new Testament. That is the new Testament begins with the preaching of John the Baptist 400 years from that time, the people of Israel heard no word from God, a people who were constantly accustomed to hearing a word from God, whether it's a word of blessing or whether it's a word of judgment, they always had some kind of word from God. But for 400 years, they heard absolutely nothing. So you now can imagine when John the Baptist, energized by the Holy Spirit, begins to preach way out there. Where? In the wilderness. In the what? In a desert place. It didn't matter. Folks came from the city. Folks came from Jerusalem. Folks came from everywhere because what? Finally, God is beginning to speak to us again. OK. And so that's what's going on. And so what happened? Many of them were being baptized. And you and I've just explained what it means to be baptized. There's a message. And therefore, to be baptized is to submit, believe in that message and be a follower of that person, whether close or far. When I say close or. Oh, far that means close meaning like an everyday disciple. Far means you go back to your home living your life, but still you say, I believe in John the Baptist. And many people believed that John was a prophet. okay? So they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River. and notice what? They confessed their sins. What did John say? Repent. That is, they had to confess their sins, and we'll talk about that too. As we start to move on, we're going to get to there. The confessing of the sins is necessary. A clean life and a clean people being ready for the Messiah who is about to come. Who is about, about the kingdom of heaven is what? Not far, not years near. He's about to come. The Messiah is about to show up. Okay. And so they confess their sins and they're prepared, waiting for John to point out the Messiah. Seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, now let's examine what happens. Verse number seven. So what? not only are there basically common people coming to John out to his baptism, but also Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, let me explain to you who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were basically, uh, the name literal Pharisees means separated ones. Okay. And they were basically religiously arrogant people. And as a whole, they looked down on common Jewish people because they considered the common Jewish people as ignorant and those who do not know the law. And so the Pharisees were part of the teaching group of also associated closely with the scribes. Okay. And they were also the teachers of the common people, not the Sadducees. The Sadducees were not the teachers of the people. But concerning the Pharisees. These were they who basically uh, uh, were religious descendants of Ezra. And, and I don't want to get into all of that, but okay, when Ezra came back, and this is after the Jewish people were uh, judged by God and sent to, into Babylon for 70 years. After that 70 years was up, they began to return to the land. They returned with Ezra and Nehemiah. They remember one of the words of the prophets that said, my people die for lack of knowledge. And so therefore, Ezra chose and notice the Bible called Ezra, a prepared scribe. So therefore, Ezra, along with other men who knew the Old Testament scripture, namely the law, the law of Moses, first five books, he made it his mission to begin to educate the Israelite people on the word of God. And there came from him a scribal group of people who determined to educate God's people according to the word. And so down and down and down. Okay, might as well. Down through time, what they began to do is these scribes began to add unto the word of God. That is, they would say, they would do what they called build a fence around the word of God. So they didn't just simply begin to teach the word of God. They also began to add commandments that they made up, like the commandments concerning what you can do and what you cannot do on the Sabbath. Remember, you see certain things like when Jesus would heal a person and he would tell them, take up your bed and go to your own house. And then one of the uh, Pharisees would see him and saying, what are you doing carrying your bed on the Sabbath day? And they would say, the one who healed me told me to take up my bed. And they would uh, uh, judge such a person as sinning because he was carrying his bed. But here's the whole point. It was never in the law that you could not carry your bed on the Sabbath day. And this is what I mean by building a hedge about the law. They thought by adding so many of their own commandments, their own commandments, that if if the people could not go beyond their commandments, it would be even unlikely they, they could uh, go against God's commandment. But then they began to do as time would pass up until the New Testament time. They will begin to look at their own commandments on par, equal with the commandments of God. And even by the time of Jesus, even greater than the commandments of God. And Jesus would give certain issues about, and I don't want to get into the, the, the examples. Just let me just simply say it that way. So it won't be so long. So it is this group that, and so this law, all of these additional laws, over 6,000 different laws, They were never spoken of under the law of Moses, which is only 613 laws. But this group became the self righteous group of the Pharisees. And it is from the Pharisees and all of these additional laws that they created what we call now today the Mishnah, okay? Or sometimes you hear spoken in the New Testament as the the law of the elders, okay? The, The law of the elders. The Mishnah. These were additional laws not found in the law of Moses. So the Pharisees considered themselves to be more righteous than anybody else. Now that's the Pharisees. The Sadducees. The Sadducees was a different group. This group was basically a political group. They were a politicized group. And they I wouldn't say simply favored Roman occupation. Remember, you don't want to be occupied by no other country, but Rome was over occupying, ruled over Israel at that time. Okay? And so they they were the leaders, they became the new priests. They weren't the priest according to the scripture. Remember, the scripture says priests come from the family of Aaron. They were simply men. Chosen by Rome because Rome was picking out who the high priest would be. And so these uh, Sadducees were men who accepted Roman rule as long as they got the power over the temple. So the Sadducees had the power over the temple. They were the priest and the high priest was chosen from the Sadducees. And remember, the Bible talked about certain things concerning the Sadducees. They did not believe in life after death. They believed once you died, that was it. They did not believe in angels, spirits, resurrection of the dead whatsoever. OK. And so they were basically mm, semi-religious from the political perspective. And they were over the temple. And you will see. Now, here's something I might as well. I'm going to tell you. Like when Jesus came and he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. This was under the control of the Sadducees alone. The Pharisees had no power in the temple whatsoever. The high priest, uh, uh, Caiaphas that you hear about, and, even, and, and, and many others were um Sadducees, most of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the men this religious men of 70 in number, 70 in number, who consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees who who judged Israel, okay? Religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, but it was dominated by the Sadducees, and they were for the most part irreligious. But anyway, okay. And so when he saw these men, Pharisees and Sadducees, coming for baptism, he said to them. Now, let me stop here once again, because we've got to unpack so you'll understand what's going on. The way things were done at that time, if you had some particular religious person drawing the attention of people, what the Sanhedrin would do, the religious council, would send a delegation a delegation of Pharisees and Sadducees. And the first thing they would simply do is come and observe. So the first stage is observation. And then after observation, they'll wait a while and they'll go back, report to the Sanhedrin what they have seen, and they'll be sent out once again. But this time when they'll be sent out, They will now ask questions of this so-called religious person, which we'll know we'll see here is John the Baptist. And they'll begin to ask questions concerning what he is doing and who he is supposed to be. And this is the time of questioning. And from the time of questioning, they'll report back again to the Sanhedrin. And then determination will be whether or not the Sanhedrin accepts this person or not. So we are basically moved from the time of observation until the time of questioning later on, as we'll see here, okay? Now we understand who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, now we understand why they have come out to hear John the Baptist preach, but they were not being baptized by John. No, coming for baptism. It doesn't mean that they were coming so that they themselves might be baptized, but they were coming to see the baptism of John, to observe and later to question it. OK. And so when John saw them now, moving on, he called them a brood of vipers, a family of snakes. And remember, a snake is an unclean animal. These are supposedly religious leaders, and especially the Pharisees thought that they were religious, and Jesus even called them whitewashed tombs. And a tomb was what? Unclean. And once again, what is John calling them? Unclean. So what is he calling them altogether? Unsaved. You are not saved, even though you're the religious leaders of the Israelite people. But anyway, what did he say? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, I love this verse again. We've got to unpack it. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Remember what John was preaching. John was preaching what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in other words, remember, the establishment of Israel. Keep Keep all of this in mind. The Messiah is soon to come. And I'm going to point him out very soon. The Messiah is soon to come. But what you have to understand is the mentality of the Jewish people. They got only part of the scriptures right concerning the Messiah. And they were looking to this what the Messiah would do in his return. They missed The first coming. That's why they crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. They missed him as Messiah in his first coming. In his second coming, they won't miss him at all. They will acknowledge him. Okay. All Jews will be saved. Romans chapter 11. Every single one of them. That's why Paul says for Gentiles, do not boast. And also the book of Zechariah. All Jews will be saved at the coming of the Messiah. That is his second coming. So they totally missed the first coming. The humble one riding on the back of a donkey and the umberworn, one, Isaiah 52 and 53, who is to give his life for his people. Psalm 22. They totally missed that part about the Messiah, his first coming, and they were only looking for his second coming. Him to come in power and glory and establish Israel as the chief of all nations, judge the Gentile nations, especially anti-Semitic Gentiles and rule over the world with a rod of iron. That's what they were expecting. Okay, And here. This is exactly what John was expecting, because John said the Messiah is about to come. And what does he say? And he says, what would he say? Preparing a people. You need to be repentant. Have the right heart and accept the Messiah when I show him. Because when he shows up, he's going to come. Notice the mindset like he comes in the second advent. But this is still the first advent. But their mind is stuck on the second advent. Come with power. Woo. And kick and tail. And that's what John begins to say. You brood of vipers, you haven't repented. And you think you're gonna be in the kingdom. We'll talk about that. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? What is the coming wrath? The Messiah. When he comes, he will separate right from the wrong sheep from the goat, Gentiles, especially, and those who are not prepared for him, who have not repented will be cast into hell itself. And that's what we will see later on in the full context. All right, of when, when, Jesus, when Paul was, when Matthew was talking about, he will baptize Holy Spirit and fire. But anyway, we're not there yet. So he's saying to these religious leaders, How did you get the message? So it's basically tongue in cheek. It's kind of a bit of irony. How in the world you come out here to hear me preach? Well, how did you get the message to keep from going to hell? Who told you how to keep from going to hell? And that's what (laughs) he basically said. So but now let's continue. So in verse number eight, he says bear fruit. In repentance, that that deals with in keeping with repentance. In other words, remember what John was saying he was preaching. The baptism of John was all about. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, change of mind, change of heart. Why? For the Messiah soon to come. He says, You need to bear fruit, you need to live a righteous life, a holy life. So we see John is condemning those jokers. To their literal face. And for this reason, I say to any righteous preacher of God, righteous preacher of God, never to be afraid to condemn an unrighteous preacher. One who you know or one who is committing an unrighteous act. You do it face to face. Don't hide nothing. But anyway, so he says you need to repent. And then verse number nine deals with the mindset of these jewish leaders especially the pharisee when he says do not suppose that you can say to yourself we have abraham as for our father what does he mean when he say that it was a common teaching especially by the pharisees and remember i told you already the pharisees were the teachers of the people it was a common teaching of the pharisees that All Jews would be in the kingdom. Remember, this concept that we have in modern day, especially among the Gentiles, we're going to go to heaven. That is not a concept in the Jewish mind. It's not about heaven. With the Jewish mind, the concept is about the kingdom of the Messiah or the millennial reign, or we'll simply call it the second advent of Jesus. Okay? So he begins to say, do not suppose to say to yourself, the Pharisees commonly taught, that if you are a Jew, you automatically are going into the kingdom. It doesn't matter what kind of life you live. Simply by being a Jew, you're going into the kingdom. And this is what John is saying. John is saying, you are lying. And that teaching that you keep telling people about is a lie. And for you, even yourself, don't think that simply because you are a physical descendant of Abraham that guarantees you a place in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see later on, Jesus is going to tell the, <laughs> tell the Pharisees when he was eating at a table and one of the Pharisees would say, Oh, how good it's going to be to eat at table with Abraham? That is to be in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to kind of look and say, will you be in the kingdom of God? No, you won't. I tell you the truth. Many shall come from the East and the West. Gentiles to whom the Jews did not suppose would be in great numbers in the kingdom. Many will come from the east and the west and eat with Abraham. And you thinking that you were gonna be there will find yourself cast out. Same message of John here, okay? So John is saying, don't think just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you got some automatic right or position in the kingdom. He says, let me tell you something. If God don't need you to be in the kingdom, and I can imagine John looking down on the ground and pointing to the ground as he was talking to them and saying, you see these rocks on the ground? God can turn these rocks and raise them up as descendants to Abraham. God does not need your prideful, arrogant self. And that's a message that we need to hear as well. God does not need our prideful and arrogant self. You know, sometimes people act like sometimes when you got saved, you did God a favor. You did God no favors. None. God did you a favor. That's why salvation is always called grace. God is doing what he doesn't have to do for your benefit, not for his. But anyway, before I get hot and start preaching on that. And so he says in verse number 10, the ax is already laid to the root of the trees and every good tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. The ax is laid to the root of the trees. So now he begins to deal with Israel, especially the religious leaders of Israel, because he is talking to what? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, but the nation as a whole. And as the ax is laid to the tree, root of the tree, Getting ready to be chopped. That's not a good thing. So he's speaking of judgment. Judgment is soon to come concerning the people of Israel, concerning the people of Israel in respect to how they receive the Messiah. When John points him out, what will you do? Will you believe in him? Will you receive in him? Because even now God is soon ready to judge The people. Okay, so therefore, he says, I am urging you as I told you to repent and bear fruit of repentance. In other words, if you say you've saved, live like you say, don't just simply say, as God said through, I think it was the prophet Isaiah. These people draw near unto me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Being saved is more than just talk. Being saved is more than just going to church. It's how you live. It is what you do. It is your credit report. That's what being saved is all about. And that's what John is trying to say. Because truly saved people manifest it with saved behavior. Or even as James said, let me preach on my own. As James said, faith, declaring that you are saved, without works is dead, but you don't live right doesn't mean a hill of beans. And that's the point that John is trying to make here. So he is simply saying, judgment is near, focused on how you deal with the Messiah, whether you accept him or not. So I suggest bear fruit because you as the tree, if you do not bear fruit of repentance, you will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This speaks of judgment. And the ultimate judgment is the fire of Gehenna, Or in other words, the fire of hell itself. So instead of thinking that you're going to be in the kingdom, you're going to actually end up being in hell. Okay, verse 11. Now, John speaks of himself because what the Jews that is the Pharisees and Sadducees in the delegation had come out in the first place to see who John was and what was John saying about himself. And now. John tells them about himself. Okay, fine. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. Verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his, is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay. So now he says, all right, fine. You want to know who I am? I'm the one who has a certain ministry Preparing a people for the Lord and in this ministry I baptize remember what I told you what baptism was all about There's a message if people are believing your message and respond to your message They are baptized. So I baptize and the agency the agency What am I baptizing you guys with what am I baptizing people who are believing my message? I'm just simply baptizing them with water and what John is simply doing here. He's setting us up to show He, in comparison to the coming one, the Messiah, he is nothing in comparison to the Messiah. So I baptize, but I'm just doing it with water. Right. Water unto repentance that change your mind. Believe my message. He said, but in distinction, contradistinction distinction to me. He who is coming after me, because notice John is saying the Messiah has still yet not made his person known. So Jesus has not made revealed himself to the nation. He's still to come. And John is doing what? I'm preparing a way for him. I'm preparing uh, people to receive him. But he is coming after me. And guess what? He's not a mere man like me. He's mightier than I am. And then what? He is more glorious than I am. In what way? John said, I am not even worthy to do the job of a slave. Because a slave, his job was to remove the sandals from his master's feet when he returns home and wash the dirt from his master's feet. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. To the Messiah, Jesus. And let me tell you something. Remember, I told you I baptize with the agency of what? Water. But this one, the Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of the Holy Spirit is to those who believe in him, his baptism of the Holy Spirit. He will cause the Holy Spirit to come into you. He will cause the Holy Spirit to bring you into him. That is the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Jesus Christ. For those who believe in him, he gives them the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, remember I told you, bring works that show that you have repented. Why? The act is at the root of the tree. Why? The tree that didn't bring forth acts worthy of repentance will be what? cut down and what thrown into the fire. And those continuing on here, those who reject the Messiah will be cast into the fire. So the Messiah will have two ministries. First ministry is to give the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit brings them into Christ and blesses them in so many ways to those who believe and accept him. But to those who don't believe in him, reject him, he will cause the tree to be chopped down judgment and he cast you into the fires of hell. And we see that with verse number 12. And so John speaks and he gives them a parable that they can easily relate to everyday parable because Israel was basically an agricultural society. So imagine it's like a farmer. And this is what he says is like the farmer who brings in the wheat from his field. And what does he do? He beats that wheat. He beats the wheat to separate the kernel of wheat from the chaff. And so once he beats the wheat, this is what the Messiah does. Then he beats it and then he takes his winnowing fork and that's that toothed fork, okay? And he scoops it up and throws it into the air. As he throws it into the air, the wind blows the chaff away. And the wheat, the kernels of wheat, fall to the ground. And and of course the wheat is what he wants. And so what does he do? He sees the wheat, the wheat is those who have the Holy Spirit, those who believe in him. And so therefore the wheat is gathered into his barns. Barns simply means the kingdom of God, those who will be welcomed into the Messiah's kingdom. This is the barn. He gathered them up to himself. But what about those who disbelieved in him, who rejected him? They are the chaff. And what does the farmer do with the chaff once he is putting the wheat and preserve the wheat in his barn. He takes the rest of it out the chaff and he burns it. And notice what John says, the burning of the Messiah will be with a fire that never goes out. That is the Messiah will will burn all those who reject him with the fires of hell. And this is John's direct message as he talks to the religious leaders of his day. And it would be mine, too. And it would be mine, too, because there is so much corruption today. But anyway, let's finish the chapter. Concentrating now on Jesus. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Verse 13. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him permit it at this time for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he that is John allowed it permitted it after being baptized Jesus came up from the waters immediately from the water and behold the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him and behold a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I want you to say that about me. I really do. But anyway, let's talk about the text. So later on, as some time has passed, Jesus now comes out of Galilee. Remember, we said it. Go and look at chapter 2. There's a video on that. We said about Galilee. People didn't think it to be nothing. But nevertheless, Jesus, as I've heard the song as a youth, I know a man from Galilee. If you're in sin, he'll set you free. Do you know him? Tell me, do you know him? (laughs) But anyway, he comes from Galilee and Jesus comes to be baptized by John. Remember, John's baptism is a baptism of what repentance for uh, the calling out of the Messiah. When he calls the Messiah, you should believe him. So Jesus is now presenting himself finally to John as the Messiah. So John recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And when he sees Jesus as a Messiah, remember what he just said previously concerning the Messiah. He is mightier than I am. I'm not even worthy to be a slave unto him. And now here is Jesus coming to submit, bow down to John, submit himself to John, To be baptized with John. And so John is taken aback and John is saying, God forbid, if anybody should be baptized, it shouldn't be you coming to me. It should be me coming to you. You are the Messiah. And so Jesus has to help him out because John doesn't understand what's going on. And so what does he say? Permitted at this time. I love this part. It all deals with Jesus Notice permit it, uh, John, allow it, even though you don't want to. And even it is still necessary. OK, you don't want to. And at this time, it deals with the first coming of Jesus. In other words, Jesus said, OK, John, don't be upset. I understand. I understand. But do it anyway for this time, because it relates to his first coming. You see, when Jesus came for the first time, notice it. Even earlier, we will see John in chapter John chapter one, I believe it is when he sees Jesus walking by the Jordan. This was before Jesus was baptized. John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, John knew he was Messiah then. Jesus is now officially right here presenting himself as Messiah to John. But anyway, so John knows this thing. And Jesus said just for this time. Behold the Lamb of God. That's what I want to talk about. Jesus is God's sacrifice. The first time Jesus came is to be associated with his people. What association? Jesus people. Remember, what did they say about the birth of Jesus? He shall save his people from what? Their sins. So that when Jesus is being baptized, he has to be associated with his people. He has to become a shepherd to his people. So in being associated with his people, he had to associate himself with the sins of his people. He had to take upon himself what the sins of his people. So in taking upon the sins of his people, as we see him doing ultimately on the cross, he had to be baptized along with his people. So the full association of the beautiful, sinless and perfect lamb of God. He associated himself with sinners like you and me when he baptized. OK. And then he says, "For this is what it means by for in this way, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness so that the righteousness of Christ in all that he does taking on the sins of his people, associating himself with the sin of his people, that he may give them the righteousness of Christ, his own perfect and sinless righteousness. Okay, that which is his become ours. And I like that when Paul says, don't worry about things for all things are yours, whether Christ or whether God and Christ is God's, And you know what? And Christ is yours as well. All things are yours. But anyway, and finally, with that convincing, John baptized Jesus. And so when Jesus was baptized after all of a sudden, can you imagine that as he was dipped into the water? What a holy time and a holy situation. And then raising Jesus back up and all of a sudden the heavens began to open. And what you see is a literal dove literal dove, the Holy Spirit took the form of a dove and lighted upon the shoulder of Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit, and this is the idea, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained. Now, it does not mean that he remained as Jesus walking around with a bird on his shoulder. (laughs) No, it means he came and alighted upon him as a bird initially. And then the Holy spirit just simply came into him, came upon him. Okay. And remained for the rest of his ministry. And so as the Holy spirit did that, and the clouds of heaven being open, there was the voice of God, the father. And what did he say? Notice how, it, how it deals with it. This one, this particular one. This one alone, in no other way, like no other person. He is my beloved son. And what? And in him, I am well pleased. Now bring that well pleasing of God into the context. Jesus says, permit John, baptize me. You need, you got to baptize me. Because what? I got to take the sins of my people. I got to bear the sins of my people. I got to go to the cross with the sins of my people and I got to give my people my righteousness. And what does God say about this son taking on the sins of his people, dying on the cross for his people. This one being sent by God in the first place for this reason. For this very reason. And what does God say? This Jesus, my son, I am well pleased with him. May God be well pleased with all of us that we do the things that are right, pleasing in his sight. Okay, that's enough of Matthew three. I think I got more emotional on that one than anything. I almost felt like crying at certain parts. But anyway, thanks for joining me, guys, on that one. I know it was extensive. Usually are. Join me next time as we get into Matthew chapter four. And we begin to deal with Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. That is, there will be the temptation, the trials of Jesus. And then Jesus will actually begin proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And this is what it will be meant when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. The Messiah is now here. All right, guys. Love you. Thanks for joining me. Check you next time. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too, guys. All the, the computers, the cameras, the blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So if God touches your mind and your heart, bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachers help you, bless the ministry, send a donation, or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it. I don't do it to make money god forbid but i do it that the ministry may be supported and that i might continuously with joy because it does give my heart joy to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit for your spiritual enrichment okay so help me out